Vancouver and it's spring but it doesn't really feel like spring uh, it's it's raining it's it's cold and uh, a bit windy uh, I'm down at the harbor and you can hear the seaplanes landing I'm looking across to the convention center and the last time I was here was maybe three four years ago maybe four years ago and it was to be at TED and I gave a talk on the power of awe and wonder and I'm looking at the convention center remembering that time and and thinking about isn't it interesting how place can trigger such strong memories uh, and more than just memories can also trigger a sense of who one was at that time of the memory, the time the memory was created. And at that time of my life, I was, it was very different. I was in a relationship that was, in fact, not a healthy relationship. Um, I was taking part in something that was really quite also extraordinary and, and following on from the research into awe and wonder, which now we've expanded on since. And I'm, I'm, I'm quite a different person. I'd hope I'm a more expanded person, but it's interesting how I can feel um, those feelings I had back then. And it reminds me also of how not just place can be a trigger for these things, but the place of a circumstance, a context. That context can be a new romantic relationship. It can be a new friendship. Uh, it can be many things. And how those contexts can trigger that person uh, that was created in the similar context in the past. For instance, if one has a fear of relationships. Once one gets into a relationship, those fears can be created uh, all over again. And we can respond to those past fears, even though the current situation is very different from the one it was before. And while we might sort of engage and recognize those fears um, in the beginning, sometimes we can actually start to re-embrace those fears because to move from them would be to move away from the familiarity, to move into uncertainty. Uh, and how unfortunate that is. And that's what I call the return. When we return to the place of the creation of a meaning that we will attach ourselves to uh, and how often we will then sort of compete with that past meaning um, in the context of a new self and how that past meaning can often win because it's so strong within us. And it's only by becoming aware that we're doing this do you actually have the opportunity to re-mean the past. And when you re-mean that past, that past can actually become a foundation for the future. But unfortunately, we will so often sort of hold on to those past pains and past traumas and not move on. And that's what this episode is about. It's about letting go, the power of letting go, what's needed to let go, and the importance of doing so. Uh, thank you for listening. Life is movement. For 23 days, I was in movement down the west coast of America. This second left turn by Boneshaker began just outside Seattle and progressed diagonally across Washington State to the northern entrance of the Astoria Bridge, which spans the Columbia River. It followed Highway 101, paralleling the Oregon coast, eventually passing into California a crossing christened by four flat tires within just two hours, and also the consequent descending of a large hill by foot that I first rolled up by wheel, followed by 80 kilometers on a widely patched, tired bike in darkness lit by the light of my phone strapped to my bone shaker's handlebars. Uh, 
The rocky shores of the Californian coast, which includes the Avenue of the Giants, which runs through one of nature's most gothic of wood cathedrals, is possibly one of the most spectacular 1,000 kilometers one can feel at the methodological pace of 16 kilometers per hour. I arrived in San Francisco after 1,536 kilometers traversed and 15,832 meters climbed. Keep in mind that Everest is 8,848 meters high. Along the way, I had moments of complete elation as well as exhaustion. Along the way, I had moments of complete elation as well as exhaustion. I had a moment of near death and was very unfortunate indeed not to have died. Moments of tempestuous pleasure, skinny dipping in cold mountain rivers among bears. One of my sisters and my brother-in-law were waiting on folding chairs on the sidewalk outside their home with garland of oranges for my return. A few days later, the adventure continued. I switched back to four wheels and turned left for a third time, this time driving via ragtop back across the U.S. through the southern states to New York City. Had I finished in San Francisco, the incomplete shape of an L would not have been quite right, not as beautiful as the closed shape created when one returns. But equally, there is risk in returning. Which brings me to the point of this podcast. Adventures are risky, since they create the possibility of self-honesty, which isn't always welcome. When I arrived in Kirkland, Washington, after turning left for the first time, and before turning left by Boneshaker down the West Coast, my wonderful 87-year-old uncle underwent a life-threatening surgery. We spoke for an hour and a half the day before, a conversation I recorded not knowing whether it would be the last. I asked him a simple question. What does it mean for him to be a good man? His answer? The genuine pursuit of self-honesty. Since with self-honesty comes humility, creativity, care, joy, and agency. Characteristics that are essential for thriving in uncertainty. You know when you're being dishonest. You know that voice. You've heard it. But the less you've listened, the quieter it will have become until it's no longer audible. Those who live with self-dishonesty live in a house of cards, as one dishonesty requires another to rationalize it, and thus the house of cards grows. Complexity is replaced with complicated, resilience with high maintenance, defensiveness is the force holding the cards together. Dishonesty recruits others who will validate its behaviors and perceptions, much like The Truman Show, where everything is designed to maintain the illusion, as well as the delusion. Which is why the most courageous, strongest, and riskiest thing one can do is not an action, it's a word. A word that is prevented by most organizations and religions and governments. The word is why. Why acknowledges the possibility of doubt, and doubt fells the cards. Much safer, it seems, to stand still, to be passive. But no experience is passive. While experiences can just happen, they are not imbued with inherent meaning. Their meaning encoded by your brain is your response to what happened. Do you respond with the thoughtfulness or with panic, with blame or ownership? It's in the honesty of the response that reveals and creates you. Adventure is to create a context in which you can respond and in doing so, make your implicit self explicit if you have the courage and honesty to look. Riskier still is to not look, to not be willing to move. In nature, systems that don't move in body, brain, or soul are selected out. The world changes, as you know explicitly with COVID. And what is true with COVID has always been true. 
Our society has a strong misconception about what is needed to adapt, to be creative, to thrive in uncertainty. Needed, we've been told, is to be open to new experiences, to be an extrovert and a neophile, those who love the new and the novel. But to adapt is not simply a function of the diversity of sensorial experiences of nature, love, work, or sex. To be adaptable requires a different kind of openness, which can be found in introverts as much, if not more so, than extroverts. What is required is to have the courage to let go of the old, to let go of previous misconceptions and meanings of self and other, to let go of your subjective reality, to let go of some of the meanings that you've attached yourself in the past that are no longer serving you. To pursue truth is far harder, far more challenging, far riskier than simply pursuing validation. And this is where the return lives. It's not just in forgetting the past, it's in evolving the self by integrating the past with the present, but in the place where that past self was created. Experiences create emotions, and emotions live in the world where those perceptual emotions were created. Your assumptions and biases are literally tied in your brain to the people, the places, and the things in which those perceptual realities were associated. And if not the people, then the context. Your fear or welcoming of a relationship is tied to the context of a relationship. When you leave the relationship, you lose the context and you therefore lose the ability to feel and experience the truth that is within you that only happens in the context of a relationship. Hence why PTSD is most saintly triggered by the people and places in which the trauma was experienced. Every perception then has a location which is encoded in your hippocampi, the seahorse-shaped structure that is the base of the lateral ventricles deep within the hemispheres of your brain. What's true for your brain is also true for all brains, including the pollinators who keep us alive. When I trained bumblebees to solve puzzles of color, we discovered that their primary reference was not the rewarding color, but its location. Hence, their first strategy was to fly to where they were most recently rewarded. And only if that didn't work would they fly to the color of the rewarding flower. Place, then, is primacy. Your emotions, good or bad, the perceptual meanings that shape you, live where they were created. They live in the context that gave them birth. And they will be triggered by your return to that place, whether that be to your family, to your home, or to a loving relationship. Which is why the Lab of Misfits with Dave Strudwick, when working with children from deeply challenging environments, first creates a sandbar in a new environment that safely encodes the new, more positive experiences of self. Only then do the young people embark on their second part of their adventure, the return, where they face the literal physical locations and people of their previous fears, behaviors, perceptions. Expanding in this moment is not inevitable. It must be fought for and then practiced every single day. Expansion is an exercise. You wouldn't go to the gym once and then say, brilliant, I'll now be physically fit for the rest of my life. To keep your body in shape, you know you need to move to regularly elevate your heart rate and respiratory rates for an extended period of time, ideally 30 minutes or more every day. And yet we fail to apply the same logic to our brains. Why? Because we have been presented so often with a false dichotomy between the mind, heart, and body by gurus and specialists such as Deepak Chopra. They are not different. The body is the brain. The brain is the body. It's nothing other than another organ, no different from your liver, intestines, and muscles. 
It came from the same pluripotent stem cells, which specialize into the different parts of you during the development of you. Just like all the other cells in your body, your neurons can only atrophy or grow. They can become healthy or pathological, depending on how you use them. Drink too much, and you'll destroy the cells of your liver. Don't experience difference or critical thinking or care and compassion, and you'll do the same to the cells of your brain. But it's bloody hard work, and it's meant to be, since your brain, which is only 2% of your body mass, consumes 20% of your energy. Thinking is hard. Thinking is expensive, which is why so few people do it. But it's worth it. Integrating across diversity can create a foundation for all those things that came before. Consider time. When I was hiking through the Zion National Park in southern Utah, the strata of geological time was apparent as sediment layers moving upwards towards the sky, the newer above the older. The diversity of sensorial experiences are similar. They happen in sequence and time, in some sense one above the other, one a consequence of the other. But when we return from the diversity of the adventure of life and seek integration across that diversity, which requires letting go of one's previously assumed reality, the experience of the return strata of time is inverted. In that moment, life extends not upwards towards the sky, but downward towards the Earth's core, where the most recent becomes the basis for everything else that came before. The complicated collapses into the integrated whole. Imagine watching a play with 11 characters, each with a completely independent storyline. The energy to maintain all those disconnected stories in one's brain is vast. These 11 characters are metaphorically your different selves in space and time. Now imagine watching the same 11 disparate storylines, but with the understanding of the deeper principle that connects them. In that moment of understanding, the energy required by your brain is significantly diminished. That's what self-honesty does. That's where truth lives. When you return to the place of your origin and not only face the emotions and the perceptions and fears and pains and traumas and even the previous joys that are waiting for you, and when you come to understand why they exist, only then will you let go of those previous meanings that are creating that trauma in your life. In that moment of understanding of the past, you will change how you will see yourself others and the world in the future. It will change how you love. It will change how you engage. It will change you. The return is a critical part, if not the most essential part of an adventure. When you return, in my case after nearly four months of what I've called vagabonding, your brain can experience the cognitive dissonance between the newer, nascent, questioning self and the more familiar, the more established self who was left. What's fascinating is that older self, who seems to have all the answers, waits for your arrival with open arms like a loyal friend, keen to reestablish its place in the hierarchy of things. As I discussed in the first episode of this series, there were reasons for me starting the adventure, for turning left in the first place. It was not for celebration or fanfare. There was pain and challenge of what was, as well as excitement of what might come to be. Upon returning to New York after three months of thousands of miles of movement across 35 states, I've set myself time and I hope the grace to redefine the meanings and perceptions that are encoded in my HEP campus that are tied to this place in New York. 
in my return, there is the opportunity to not ignore that way of being, that self that was waiting for me, but expand upon it by laying a foundation of understanding that enabled me to see what was unseen before in a never-ending attempt to pursue self-honesty and hopefully laugh. We can do this not only literally in our return to a place, but also metaphorically to that place of a loving relationship, of friendship, of family. When we return to that place and in doing so, we can actually engage the previous self that has tied within it all those fears and traumas and pains as well as joys and come to re-mean them, to create a new foundation for how we will love, to escape that trap so we can love in a more expanded, more complete, more fulfilling way. So thank you so much for listening. My name is Bo Lotto and thank you for listening to my Expanding Perception podcast, which will be an ever-expanding story of the neuroscience of uncertainty and how we can not just cope with it, but expand because of it. My aim in creating this podcast is really to try to help you increase your perceptual intelligence, which will give you the ability to make the decisions and take the actions that will foster a more loving, adaptable, and optimistic life in an increasingly uncertain world. My hope is that this podcast will help you in your journey to self-honesty, which is one of the hardest journeys we can take in our life since it's a never-ending practice and might take you to places that you might want to avoid. But if you have the courage and compassion to go on this journey, you'll find that it's worth it and it will create true authenticity in your way of being. A deeper consideration of many of the ideas in the Expanding Perception podcast can be found in my book, Deviate, The Creative Power of Transforming Your Perception. You can also follow me and my Lab of Misfits on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. You can also take part in experiments on the Lab of Misfits website that we've designed just for you to help you better understand who you are. So thank you, and I hope you enjoy these episodes.